Well, good morning, Redemption Church. How are we doing today? Awesome. Nice to see you guys. If you don't know me, my name is Sean Fenner. I uh, have the privilege of occasionally getting up here to preach the message for you guys, and uh, today is one of those days. It is a blessing to, to be up here with you guys. I do want to say you guys look great with your Christmas sweaters on. It's exciting. Uh, I actually ordered two of them. I was going to do like a wardrobe change in between services, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I ordered two of them, and unfortunately, neither of them came in. So I improvised. I got my Christmas shoes on. I'm ready to go. So, but, I, but it, again, it is nice to be here with you guys. Before we get started, I do have some announcements to make. Um, first and foremost, we want to remind you guys that next week will be our Christmas Eve services. Um, we're going to do a service on Saturday evening, 6 o'clock. Um, it's going to be a traditional Christmas Eve service. And then we're going to do two services on Sunday at our normal time, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Again, traditional Christmas Eve services with the light up and all that fun stuff that we do t- traditionally. So we want to have you guys invite as many people as you can. We want to fill all three services up, invite your friends and family to come hang out and celebrate us as we celebrate this Christmas season. So um, the next announcements I have is, is uh, you, as you know, we'll be moving into a new read-through in January. We're going to be going through the New Testament together as a church. Um, along with that read-through, we're going we're to have journals for you guys to be able to, to walk through as you read. Um, in those journals, there'll be a, um, a, a Bible study process on the back side of the front cover of that. Um, it's called Soaps. And it's just a, a tool to help you walk through and, and dig a little deeper into the New Testament. Um, we're going to be select passages that we read through. I think it's one chapter a day that we read through five days a week. And there'll be select passages that we want you to use the SOAPS study method in there and, and take some notes and journal through that. I think it's going to be a good opportunity for all of us to to just grow deeper in our relationship with Christ as we read through that through next year. So we want to make sure that you can get that journal if you want one. It's not a requirement, of course. There are actually the, the SOAPS study method are in the back. They're, they're, you can pull them off and put them on your inside your Bible or, or a notebook, wherever you want to put it. But the journals are $10. We ask you to register on the website or on Church Center, and uh, you can purchase one of those there, and we'll make sure you get one of those journals. And then I think the last... Um, announcement that I have is back by popular demand, I guess. We are going to go Christmas caroling again this year. Um, We're going to do that Tuesday, this Tuesday coming up the 19th. We're going to meet at the um, U-Haul Center parking lot at 6.30. Um, If you're interested in coming Christmas caroling, we're going to do that. We do need someone to maybe um, drive around with us because I think we're going to have gift bags and stuff to carry around potentially and someone to just kind of host. We don't have to carry them the whole time. We want as many people as come. We had a a blast last year. Um, I think there was probably 25 of us that went out and we just knocked on doors and sang Christmas caroling. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. So we're going to do that again, 6.30, Tuesday, meet at the U-Haul parking lot if you are interested. I think that's all the announcements that I have. Yeah, I think so. So today we are going to jump into that. What's in a name is the title of my sermon. What's in a name? Um, this is a quote from William Shakespeare. Um, what's in a name? The actual quote, and I think I have it up here on the screen. It says, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Now, while Mr. Shakespeare is correct, a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. Imagine, though, calling a rose something else. It just doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same impact, does it? Just take, for instance, an orange. 
And, and you name an orange something different. And you, you see your kid, what do you want for, for lunch? I want, a, I want a purple. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound right, right? Names are significant. Names are, are important. Each and every one of us um, have been given a name. Most of us have a first name, a middle name, and a last name. Our parents gave us this name for a reason. My name is Sean Frederick Fenner. Frederick is actually my father's first name, Frederick Edward Fenner. I have since passed the name Frederick on to my son, Isaiah Frederick Fenner. So that name is a family name. We, we keep that name. We hopefully continue passing it down. My brother, his name is Brett Edward Fenner. He took my dad's middle name of Edward, and now he has since passed it on to his son, Chase Edward Fenner. There's significance to that name for us, for my family. Maybe you've been named after a grandparent or a parent. Maybe someone who has passed away. My daughter is Mackenzie Grace Fenner. Grace is the middle name of my, my grandma. We may be named after someone who's famous. Maybe your parents loved an actor when you were born or, or had a favorite television show that they named you after. Or maybe someone famous in sports. I have a friend who took their daughter to their, her first Penguin game. They, it was actually last week, they were playing the Florida Panthers. They now live in Florida. And the, their, their daughter is their first game. She made a sign, actually got a shirt made up as well. And it said, this is my first Penguin game. We were born in Pittsburgh, and I'm named after Sidney Crosby. And actually, that picture, someone took a picture, and they got posted on the Penn's um, Twitter channel. And so it became viral thing that this little girl who was her first game, and her name was Sidney Crosby, named after Sidney Crosby. That name had an impact for her. It was important for her. It was exciting for her to get her picture. She was named after someone famous. Some of us have been given nicknames. Maybe it's one given to you by a family member. I, I don't really have a cool nickname, um, but growing up, my, my, my older sister called me Sean Boy. I don't know why. Sean Boy was the name. And that kind of stuck, and my mom and my younger sister called me, called me Sean Boy as well. In fact, my sister still occasionally called me Sean Boy. I don't know, I don't know why. But, but it does evoke some, 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 some emotions for me. Right? It, it brings back memories of my mother and my childhood with my siblings. Some people have a lot cooler nicknames than Sean Boy. Some people have nicknames like Jerome the Bus. Bettis, right? The bus, it, 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 you think about that, it's, it's a guy running down the field and plowing through defenders. Boy, the Steelers could use something like that right now, can't they? The bus, it's a cool nickname. Michael Air Jordan, right? Yeah, that evokes thoughts of a guy flying through the air and dunking the basketball. The greatest player that ever played. Sorry, LeBron fans. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have nicknames that, that they were given as children and just kind of stuck. I have an uncle, his name, I had an uncle, his name was Uncle Skinny. That's what we called him. He got that nickname when he was a child because he was thin. I assure you, as far as I remember back knowing him, he was never skinny. He was always a big rotund dude. But they called him Uncle Skinny and his stuck. That was his nickname. We had another uncle named Uncle Fuzzy. And he had no hair on his face. But we called him Uncle Fuzzy nonetheless. A cooler nickname than Sean Boy. <laughs> but, but that's what it was. Some of us have pet names that we give our spouses. And they give us, you know, names like 
love and sweetie, babe, hon, boo, you know. And then, of course, all men know the, the most popular one, dear. Yes, dear. Whatever you say, dear. I'm sorry, dear. <laughs> Come on, fellas, you know that one. <laughs> whatever the birth name is, whatever your nickname is, there's a reason for that name, a reason you've been given that name. Names are powerful objects. Our names are significant to us because they're our identity. They're how we introduce ourselves. Knowing someone's name takes them from being a stranger to being an acquaintance or, or a friend even. Our name is what we answer to. When someone calls out our name, we respond. There is meaning to our names. There is significance to a name. There is power even in a name. There are names when you say it, you immediately think of someone. If I say the name Lincoln, the first person that probably popped in your head was Abraham Lincoln. Most of the time we don't think about some stranger named Lincoln. Names are powerful. The Bible is full of names that are significant. Names that are powerful. Men and women through the Bible who, who helped change the course of the world. Certainly changed the course of our lives and continue to teach us today. And of course, there are names of God in the Bible that are, that are of the utmost significance. That are of the utmost importance to us. If you read, there's some places where you read, it will say there's anywhere from 21 upwards of over 300 names that were given to God in the Bible. I have a few of them that I want to read through because I think some of them are, are, are that important that we just touch on them just a little bit, just for a moment. El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, Adonai, Lord Master, Yahweh, Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, El Olam, the everlasting God, Elohim, God himself, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the way, the truth, the life, the Messiah, the anointed one, the light of the world, the great I am, Abba, Father, the bread of life, and of course, the name above all names, Jesus, powerful, significant names, names that have an impact as a follower of Jesus Christ in our lives. Important names to remember, to be able to, to go to. This morning, we're going to talk about another name, a name that, again, has significance in our lives, a name that, that has changed lives for many, many years and continues to change lives today, and that name is Emmanuel. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this message today. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for all of your names and the impact that it has in our lives, the meaning that it has in our lives. Lord, I ask this morning that, that you would, would just take control of this service. Let your Holy Spirit fill this service this morning. I pray that you would just open our hearts so that we can receive the message that you have for us this morning. Lord, we just surrender it to you. We surrender it to you. We ask that you do your thing and not our thing. We thank you for what you have in store for us. Let your words not be mine. In your name, amen. 
So our passage this morning, we have a couple different passages that we're going to go through. We're going to start in Isaiah chapter 7. But before we get into that, I do want to give you a little history, if you would, or, or a little background as, as to what led us to the passage that we're going to go over. The origin story of the name Emmanuel. There are four primary players that, that we see in this passage. Four countries that make up an, this, this area that we'll be discussing this morning. The first one that we, uh, the first one we see is, is Israel and Judah. At this point, they are split due to the disobedience of kings before. So Israel and Judah. Israel was ruled by King Pekah. That's a fun name to say for any of you Pokemon fans. Pika, Pika, right? Isn't that what Pikachu says? So I get some pop culture in there eventually. <laughs> so King Pika is, is the ruler of Israel. We have um, Judah is being led by King Ahaz. King Ahaz is going to be one of the primary people that we talk about in this passage. We also have Syria or Aram. This is ruled by King Rezin. And then finally, we have the superpower of this area, which is Assyria. Assyria is ruled by King Tiglath-Pileser. That's not so fun to say, so we're not going to say that anymore. King Tiglath-Pileser is his name. Um, so we have these four areas, these four countries that are making up the majority of our story here. King Ahaz, to, to give you some context about King Ahaz, he's not a real good dude. He's kind of an evil man. He doesn't follow God's commandments. In fact, he worships other, worships other gods and sacrifices his own kids to these other gods. He's not a good dude. And I want you guys to understand that because as we move into this story, it kind of sheds light on how amazing God truly is, despite the fact that King Ahaz was not a good dude. The Assyrian Empire, the superpower of this area, was, was growing more and more powerful as, we, uh, as each day passed. They were conquering smaller nations. They were growing in numbers. And, and, and they were getting to a point where everyone else was kind of afraid of them. So King Pekah and King Rezin, Israel and Syria, got together and said, you know what we need to do is form a coalition or, or a partnership so that we can bring the fight to the Assyrians before it's too late, before they get too powerful and we can't do anything about it. So let's form this coalition and let's take the fight to them. In fact, let's go talk to our buddy Ahaz over there in Judah and see if he's willing to join our coalition with us. So they presented this option to Ahaz, and Ahaz was hesitant. He was reluctant. He wasn't real sure what to do. He was indecisive. And some time passed, and Pika and Rezin were frustrated with him. And said, you know what? If you're going to be so indecisive, if you're going to take your time and not respond to us, we're going to turn our attention to you, Judah. And we're going to come after you. And they did this with the intention to kick Ahaz off the throne so that they can then put someone of their own choosing on the throne. And now they have complete control of Judah. This was their plan. This is what they wanted to do. Ahaz, getting wind of this information, was terrified. He was afraid. For himself, of course. But also the people of Judah were terrified and afraid as they heard this. Because of their king's indecision, 
Now they have these two countries coming after them. They were afraid. In fact, Isaiah says that, that their hearts trembled like trees of a forest in the wind. They were afraid. God, though, still protecting his chosen people, the remnants of his chosen people in Judah, had compassion for them. And so he called his prophet Isaiah and said, Isaiah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go down and calm Ahaz down. Go to him and tell him that I'm in control. In fact, Isaiah says to tell him to be quiet. To be quiet. So Isaiah took this message to Ahaz and said, Ahaz, listen, man, all you have to do is have some faith in God. Trusting God. God is in control. Just believe in that. Stand firm in that. If you do that, then guess what? You don't have to worry about the, the Syrians or the Israelites. They don't stand a chance against you if you just put your trust in me. Just have faith in me. But Ahaz was stubborn, pompous. And instead of heeding the words of Isaiah, he decided to go do a backdoor deal with the Assyrians. He said, I'm going to send you money and wealth, and in turn, you destroy Israel and destroy Syria. And as you imagine, this did not go according to plan. We see this played out in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, that they break the covenant with Ahaz. Now Ahaz here stuck what to do. So then the Lord spoke to him again. He said, this is, leads us to the passage that we're going to read this morning in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10 through 14. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen behind you. And he said, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask him for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David. This is the line from Abraham to David to eventually Jesus. Listen, house of David, is it not enough that you try the patience of men? Right, he tried the patience of, of, of Rezin. He tried the patience uh, of Pekah. He says, is it not enough that you try the patience of men? But now you are trying the patience of my God. And notice the word, my God. Not your God, my God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Isaiah, again, implores Ahaz, come on, dude, put your trust in God. Just have faith in God. In fact, he goes so far to say, I, God has given you permission to test this. You can ask for a sign as big or as little as you want, and God will provide you with that sign. This is unprecedented stuff, church. Only one time in the Bible do we see that we can test God, and that's in Malachi, when he says, put what is mine in, your, in the storefront, and then I will show you that I will provide abundantly above that. We can test God on that. It's funny, Fred asked, when I, he asked me to do this, I said, what do you want me to preach on? He said, tithing and sacrifice. <laughs> well, here's this tithing part. <laughs> he wants you to, to test him on that. And here Ahaz is given the permission to be tested. But Ahaz, again, being pompous, said, oh, I can't test God. We can't test God. We can't do that. 
In fact, he was probably just not trusting God, not putting his faith in God. So Isaiah and God, more importantly, said, enough. This is, this is not going to work. So Isaiah tells Ahaz, you know what? God is going to give you a sign anyway. He's going to give you a sign anyway. And that sign is going to be a baby born to a virgin, and his name will be called Emmanuel. And here's where things get a little interesting. It's a little, a little interesting, because we see later on, a few verses later, Isaiah says that before this baby is able to choose right from wrong, before this baby is able, able to choose good from evil, the, the, the nation of Israel and Syria will have been abandoned. That's going to happen before this baby is born. So what we have here is a, is a, is a prophecy, but the prophecy kind of has two different meanings. We have a, a literal meaning of this prophecy, and then we also have a spiritual meaning or a long-term meaning of this prophecy. The literal meaning is this, that, that a child will actually be born in real time. That this child is going to come, and this child is going to be born, and this child will be named Emmanuel. There's some believe that, that this child is actually Isaiah and his wife's child. And there's some precedence to that. Um, if we look in Isaiah 8.16, it says that here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. Well, we know, I, I believe Ahaz, um, or is, Isaiah has four kids, and each one of his kids have been named as a sign that God is still involved in some way. Emmanuel, God is with us. God's involvement in this situation. So there is some precedent that this may be Isaiah's child. But we know this child is going to come. But we also know there's another part of this prophecy, a long-term part of this prophecy, that sometime in the future, a baby will be born and that baby will be Jesus. We see this prophecy again repeated in Isaiah 9-6. Should be up on the screen. And I want you to take a, you know, pay attention to the wording in this passage compared to the one that we read in Isaiah 7. So he said, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is a future tense passage. He will be born. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace. Whereas the other passage is pretty straightforward. There's going to be a child. He's going to be born a virgin. They'll name him Emmanuel. What does this mean to the people of Judah? What does this mean to Isaiah? My first point, Emmanuel, God with us, meant the reassurance of God's faithfulness. The reassurance of God's faithfulness. God was telling the nation of Judah that, that he was still with them. That, that God was going to keep his promise that he made to Abraham. God was going to keep his promise that he made to David. God was going to continue to protect his people. And despite the fact that they had an evil king, despite the fact that this king was, was, was just not very good, God was going to continue to watch out for them. God was going to give them a sign and letting them know that he is still there with them. Let's fast forward to Matthew, 
chapter one. And before we get into that again, I want to kind of go into a little bit of backstory as to where we're at. We see the Romans um, here are the powerhouse at this point. They are ruling over Israel. The Romans were not very good to the Jews. They were very strict with the Jews. They wanted it their way and only their way. And that's the what it was going to be. You either follow suit or you get punished. The Jews just simply wanted their freedom. They wanted to be delivered. They wanted away from the, 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 the foothold of, of the Romans. They wanted to, to have their freedom. They longed for it. They, they remember the prophecy. When is this king going to come? The Romans put Herod as king over Israel. Herod was not of Jewish descent. In fact, Herod didn't, Herod didn't really like the Jews. Didn't care for them. But he did want to control them. So what he did was, was rebuilt the temple again. And this will make them happy. We have the temple. But he made a mockery of that temple. And that, there are a couple lot of things that he made a mockery about. But specifically, he, he actually started, for a lack of a better term, an animal supply store in the temple. And he said, if you want to make a sacrifice, first you have to buy one of our animals. And then you go sacrifice. Instead of allowing them to bring their own sacrifice, he made a mockery of it and charged them for it. Herod didn't really care about the Jews. This is where they were. We also, of course, have the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the time. They were the ones who were charged with spreading the law, spreading God's commandments. But their only really concern was to continue to find favor with the political leaders of the time, which is the Romans. And by finding political favor, they would be able to then control or have some semblance of power that they thought they had. This is where we were at right before Christ is born. God, at this point, felt that it was the right time to send his son. That after 700 years of waiting for the prophecy to come true, now was the time that he was going to send his son for his people. The world was longing for something that it could embrace. The world was longing for something that was real. So God was going to send them his son to be that's something real. And this takes us to Matthew 1, 18 through 23. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Fellas, I think if we were all in the same position, we'd probably feel the same way. If my wife and I were engaged and I find out she's pregnant before we were married, I'd probably have a problem with this. Joseph had a bit of a problem, but he was a good dude and didn't want to embarrass her. So God saw this and again interceded and said in verse 20, but after he was considered these things, after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you, will, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. God is with us. 
It was time for the sun to come. The world was ripe and ready to receive the sun. So we thought. So they said. But what did this mean to the, the, to the Jews and the Israelites at this time? What does it mean to Matthew? My next point, Emmanuel, God with us, meant deliverance out of the darkness. That's what it felt for the, like for the Jews. They were in darkness. They were, they were without hope. Imagine if you would, clear your brains for a minute, your minds for a minute, and imagine a painting. In this painting, we, we have a forest. This forest is, is full of trees that have snow on it, and underneath is just darkness. But in the, in the distance, you see just a silhouette of a house. This house, again, dark and dreary, can barely be made out. This is not a place that, that any of us really want to be in. It's dark. It's gloomy. But now imagine the same picture, if you would. And in the window, just take a yellow streak and put it in the window. Now all of a sudden, this, this house is transformed. This house is a beacon of hope in the darkness that is there. This house is attractive. This house is the place you want to run to to escape the darkness. Darkness, a freedom from, from, from this darkness. Isaiah prophesies this in Isaiah 9 2. He said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. We also see this fulfilled then in Matthew 4 16. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God has come to be the light of the world. God has come to be that, that streak of yellow in the darkness so that we can run to because we have a beacon of hope that we can run to. That's what this, these passages are really all about. The through message to this is hope. Hope. Judah was looking for hope. The Jews were looking for hope. God now provided hope in the form of the light of the world. John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. This light is for everyone to see, for all of us to run to. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This light can't be extinguished. As long as I'm in this world, this light will always shine, and you always have a place to run to. John 12, 46 I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in the darkness. They were given a choice. I can be the light for you. You simply have to believe. You simply have to accept me. We have sent our, my, I've sent my son to you to be the light. Accept him. But as we know, that was not the case. And people turned on him because he was not what they wanted. He was not what they expected. Christmas is very much like that. This sadly is occurring today. Expectations that aren't met. People love Jesus until they truly know who he is and what he's all about. They love the idea of sweet little baby Jesus in a manger. And a large portion of the Jews expected Jesus to come as a conquering king, 
to come as the deliverer from the Romans to give them back their freedom. That's what they were hoping for. And while Jesus certainly defeated his enemies and gave us all our freedom that we so desperately need, that's not what they expected. They expected a hero. Today, people believe that Jesus is a good man. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he did a few miracles. But the moment that you start to tell them who he really is and what purpose he truly came for, those people go away from acceptance and move directly to standoffish and, 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 and just defensiveness. They don't want to hear about the Jesus who saves. They don't want to hear about the Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. They want to hear about the sweet little baby Jesus who was born in a manger, who, who, who brings about Christmas, joy to the world. Let's all celebrate. That's what they want to hear. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says this, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, Christmas trees, lights, snowmen. Jesus is replaced. How often do we hear right now that we need to put Christ in Christmas? Or Jesus is the reason for the season. Do you ever hear that at Easter? That we need to keep Christ in Easter. No, because that's kind of accepted as the religious holiday. That will give that one to the Christians. But Christmas, no. Christmas is for everyone. In fact, it's funny, and I am being dead serious here. As I was going through this, I, I got a, an advertisement on Facebook, kind of creepy, but I got an advertisement on Facebook. And this advertisement for a 10-inch a, a talking plush Jesus no joke, I'm not joking about this. And you pull the cord and it says things like, you know, man cannot live on bread alone. <laughs> Creepy. But here's the tagline for it. Let's keep Christ in Christmas this season. That was the tagline for this. I could not believe it. I was shocked first that there was a stuff talking Jesus. But shocked that someone put this out there and thought it was a good idea to say, let's put Christ back in the season. This is the complete opposite of what that means. Let's sell a stuffed Jesus and make some money. Let's put Christ in Christmas. This is where we're at. I'll give you another example of this. Did you know there's a Guinness Book of World Record for the, the most expensive Christmas tree? It's held by Spain right now. $15.4 million. $15.4 million. That record started in 2018. But before that record, before that record um, was broken, it was held by the Emirates Palace Hotel in Abu Dhabi, $11.1 million. The most expensive decorated tree of that time. Church, it's a Muslim country. That's an anti-Christmas country. That's an anti-Christ country. Jesus has been so far removed from Christmas that a Muslim country thought it was okay to put up a tree. That's where we're at in Christmas right now. That's how unimportant Christmas is to so many people. I want that sweet little baby Jesus. But I don't want to know who Jesus really is. I don't know what he, what he does for me. I don't really care. Let me just celebrate it. But as we know, 
Despite so many turning their back on Jesus, Jesus fulfilled his providential, providential pro- purpose here on earth. Emmanuel, God with us, went to that cross and died for our sins. But here's the, the good news, church. God did not leave us when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection. God did not go away from us. We see in Ephesians 1, 3, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. We now have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The moment that we became a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit entered into us. And what does that mean for us, church? Why is that important for us? My next point here, Emmanuel, God with us, means that God, through the Holy Spirit, will be with us forever. Amen. 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 He will be with us forever. John 14, 16 through 17 says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor and he will be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The word is unable to receive him because the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains in you. And will be in you. Church, you know him because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He will remain in you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says um, this, that in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Because we do not know what to pray for, as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Church, when we feel like we are at our lowest, when we feel like that, that we don't know what to do going forward, the Holy Spirit is there interceding on our behalf and fighting for us. When we are weak, when we, are, when we, when we need to find some strength to keep moving forward, he is working to find us the strength to keep moving forward. When we are hurting, when we are sad, when we are depressed, when we just need some glimmer of hope, he is there to help us find the joy of the Lord. Emmanuel, God is with us. John 14, 26 says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. When we're not sure what direction that we should go, what decision we should make, The Holy Spirit is there to to light our path. And when that path becomes too difficult to travel, when it becomes just to a point where we don't think we can go any further, the Holy Spirit there is, is there to push us, to encourage us to take just one more step. One more step. Keep going. The Holy Spirit is there for us. When we have an opportunity to share God's word, when we have an opportunity to to preach God's gospel, the Holy Spirit is there to make sure that we're saying the right things to fill us and make sure that we're speaking the words of God and not our own words. Emmanuel, God is with us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now that the Spirit, now that the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit is, the Lord is, there is freedom. Church, when you're struggling with addictions of any kind, the Holy Spirit is there to break the chains that bind us. When we're stuck in the the mud or in a pit and we just can't find the way out of it. The Holy Spirit is there to help pull us out. 
When we're stuck in the cycle of sin in our lives and we just can't seem to stop, the Holy Spirit is there to continue to convict us, to push us, to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness from God. Emmanuel, God is with us. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Church, when we are, un, we are unable to live the lives that God has called us to live without the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's just not possible to do what God has called us to do. But when we're walking step by step with the Spirit, Emmanuel, God with us, becomes more than just a phrase. It becomes more than just a name. It becomes our way of life. It becomes our very being. Church, if you want to find love in your life, don't ask for love. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you because then you'll receive love. If you want to find patience in your life, don't ask the God for patience. Ask him for the Holy Spirit and he will fill you up and you will find the patience that you need. The fruit of the Spirit. We ask to be filled with the Spirit. Because God sent his son to die on the cross, to be resurrected three days later, I, when I follow him, receive the Holy Spirit, which allows me to be with God every single day of my life. There are far too many people, church, that, that assume that they know God. Far too many people assume that they know Jesus. Too many people love Jesus until they learn who Jesus is. But here's what I know, that that little baby Jesus in the manger, he grew up. And he grew up to die on the cross for my sins. And I love Jesus because I know what Jesus is all about. I love Jesus because I know that he died on the cross for my sins. I love Jesus because I know that he continues to do work in my life each and every day. I also know that the only reason that I'm here or any of you are here today is because God sent a child to be born a virgin, and we called his name Emmanuel. And that means for each and every one of us that we get to be with God forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words. Thank you for this message. Thank you for allowing us to be with you every single day of our lives. We're, we are so unworthy of that privilege. But yet you allow us to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, thus allowing us to have you in our lives and in our hearts every day. Lord, help us to not take that for granted this year, this, this holiday season, to, to, to truly embrace the fact that you are with us, to celebrate Christmas the way that it should be celebrated, the birth of your son, which later became the death and resurrection so that we can have salvation in our lives. That's what we celebrate. That's what you sent your son to do. So thank you for that gift. Thank you for, for, for allowing us that, that, that the freedom from our sin, for reassuring us that, that you are with us forever, for providing deliverance from the darkness in our lives. Thank you. Lord, as we continue to, to worship, I pray that you would just allow your spirit to, to work in our hearts, to free us from anything that is, is causing us not to truly understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to not completely give everything that we have to you. I pray that you just reveal that to us 
Prompt us to confess the sins in our lives, to ask for forgiveness in our lives. And Lord, if there's someone in this room right now that doesn't know what we're talking about, that needs Christ in their life, I pray that today is the day that you would convict them, that you would show them the need for life for you in their life, and they would come forward and say, I need you, Jesus. I need salvation in my life. We know that you can do that. And we ask for that this morning. Thank you for this continued time of worship. We love you, we praise you, in your name, amen.